Heavenly Father, help us to stand for something lest we fall for anything. And if we stand, let us stand firm in Christ in whom we have become a new creation so that old things have passed away and all things have become new. And because you are the God who is making all things new, because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, I pray, Lord, that, that you would bring on earth your will and your kingdom, even as it is in heaven. And Lord, that your power would be manifest among us so that we might proclaim the good news that because Christ is risen, we too will rise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is good. All the time. You have never met a mere mortal. C.S. Lewis wrote those words in The Weight of Glory. You have never met a mere mortal. He said, remember this, the next time you meet somebody, the dullest, most uninteresting person you have ever met in this world might someday be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship that one. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. And it's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, he says, that we conduct all of our dealings with each other, all our friendships, all our loves, all our play, all our politics, because there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Do you believe that? Do you believe that no matter what happens, life continues, that a person will either live with God or live apart from God, but that everybody goes on? The Scriptures teach us the reality of life. And what the Scriptures say to us is, it's really not as our world so often asks, how long will you live? But maybe, with whom will you live? And where will you live? And how well will you live? And in a world where I heard even this week somebody say, as long as what you've done in this world is remembered by somebody, you will live on. I have good news for you. The New Testament offers us something better than that. Better than living on in the memories of others through our accomplishments and our successes and our fame and our fortune here. Far better than that because Christ rose from the dead. We too will rise. Will you open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? I want to read just a couple verses and then I'm going to turn a couple pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and talk with you about the promise of immortality. Let's stand together as we read God's Word in reverence for our God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. Listen to Paul as he thinks with this church at Corinth about the possibility, the certainty of immortality. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown or planted is perishable. It's raised 
imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And after he says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I've just turned a couple of pages here. Paul has just said that uh, our light and momentary troubles, as we saw last week, are achieving for us an eternal glory. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened, Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due Him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You may be seated. Hmm. You ever seen a statue of a tent? I only ask that question because the Apostle Paul knew to whom he was writing. He was writing to that same Greek culture which was so incredibly body conscious. Maybe the only culture I can think of that's anywhere close to as body conscious as our world is today was that ancient Greek world to which Paul wrote, where they made beautiful statues to commemorate the human body, where they did a lot in terms of temples of Asclepius on a tour some years ago. We saw one of those, but they were scattered throughout the world there because they wanted to get the medicinal value. They cared for their health. They cared for their bodies, but they couldn't believe that if their bodies died, that they would ever live again. We know because Paul preached at Athens to the intelligentsia, the sort of uh, elite, the philosophical who's who, and said to them, uh, after he connected with them on a number of levels, Jesus was raised from the dead, and he lost his audience because they couldn't believe that these bodies to which they were so devoted after they died could ever live 
again. And even in our world, there is great interest in this. Even in the last week, I sort of tuned in to a funeral service on television just to listen to what people think. I care. I'm interested in what people think about immortality and what happens to us after we die and whether who we are in this life goes forward into another life. Or is it as we see in the movies, somebody says, I was Marley, your partner, as he spoke to Scrooge. I'm no longer Marley, but in this life I was. Will we be in the next life who we are here? Or as my nephew Andrew asks, will we have feet in heaven? The scriptures answer these questions. And what they say is that this rental car for our souls that we call our bodies is just a tent. It's just temporary. It's important to take care of it in the sense that it's the only place in the world you can do God's work. But on the other hand, it's not the ultimate. It's not our final destiny. It's not our goal. Again, as C.S. Lewis has said, you are not a body. You have a body, but you are a soul. And here, you house it in this tent. There, he says, you'll have a real building, a permanent building. As he describes it in verses 42 and 43, instead of being perishable, it will be imperishable. Instead of being dishonored, it will be glorious. Instead of being weak, it will be powerful. Instead of being natural, it will be spiritual. And you as you are, will live on in some form after this life. The question is, with whom will you live? Will you live with the Lord in glory? Or will you live without the Lord in shame? Those are the only two choices we have. And he well reminds us in verse 1 and following that in this life, We groan, we uh, agonize, as I said last week. We agonize, we groan because this life is just, uh, just a tent and this life can be destroyed. It is impermanent, it is imperfect, it is perishable, it is mortal, it is corruptible. That's the way our bodies are. And there is a, a deterioration, a degeneration within our bodies. I remember the first time I realized this was about three or four years ago when we had some kids over at the house and they were playing basketball in the uh, driveway and the boys were trying to impress the girls and they were all running and trying to touch the rim of the basketball goal 10 feet high. Some of them succeeded, some of them failed. Then Kyrie Cameron, whom I love, a little girl who grew up here who's now off in college, she said, Dr. Brooks, why don't you touch the rim? And I said, why certainly. And ever since I was 14 years old, as long as I could remember, I had always been able with a running start to jump up and touch the rim. How hard could it be? I took a flying run at it. I leaped in the air. I extended my hand. And I was astonished to find that I didn't touch the rim. I thought it was some sort of mistake. Must have taken off too early, I said. Let me try again. And I did. And again, and again, and again. And somehow, while I have been at Tallowood, I have lost no less than six inches in vertical jump. (laughs) This may be astonishing to you. It's very perplexing to me as well. 
I just wonder what happened to that. I work hard at staying in shape just like you do. I try to stay healthy. And so I, you know, what happens? Well, this world is like that. There is this sort of progressive deterioration, degeneration. So we're not as strong as we were perhaps when we were younger. And I have to tell you, when I first realized that, that was sort of a discouraging thing. What have I lost? That's a, a terrible thing. But even this week, I spoke with some friends on the phone. Robert Sloan, who uh, is president of HBU, lost a nine-year-old grandson this week. I'm sorry, a nine-day-old grandson. And I just agonized with him on the phone over that. He taught me New Testament. And we sat there in the light of the New Testament on the phone. He in Dallas and I here in Houston trying to make sense of the nonsense of our mortality. At the same time, uh, I called just later that morning a friend of ours who lived here, who ministered with us here. He and his wife, she taught children in choir. She's been battling with Alzheimer's and she took a fall this week. And I called him just to check on him and see how he was doing and how she was doing. And when I hung up the phone, I just thought mortality is with us, whether we like it or not, we agonize in these bodies. As Steve Jobs, the founder of, of Apple Computer, said recently, the fact that I am about to die puts great perspective in my life. The things that I worry about, what people think about me, my own pride, my own accomplishments, are all lost in the reality of what really matters. Well, what really matters? If it's not this physical body, what is it? He says it is... Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to this. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in His presence. Not only is He going to raise us, but He's going to raise you and we are going to be together. That's why He can say in verse 16, we're outwardly wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Why? Because he says, when this earthly tent, verse 1 of chapter 5, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. As much as we love our lives here, believe me when I say our lives there will be infinitely better. No longer perishable, he says, they will be imperishable. As Kyle reminded us, nobody dies in heaven. That's good news. Because death is with us here. And we realize the, the, the pain of death. I think about that man who was uh, walking through the cemetery and he saw a tombstone there. And it said, remember friend, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you may be. Prepare for death and follow me. He couldn't leave without leaving a little note there. It said, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. I'm not just following anybody. I want to be sure which way I'm going. And the, the Apostle Paul tells us that because Christ was raised, we will be raised. And just listen again in verses 42 and 43. He says, we, we're perishable, we'll be imperishable. Our bodies are sown in dishonor. doesn't matter how wealthy or wise or famous or talented or gifted we are in this life, does it? When we die, we die. And there's, there's no vestige of honor left in that body, in that tent that we place in the ground. But there is glory in that soul. And he says, you will be raised 
glorious. It occurred to me this week that if the Holy Spirit is the first fruits and just a taste and the fruit of the Spirit or what we know of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, and peace, just imagine if all that God has put inside us were turned inside out, that's who we would be in heaven. And we devote ourselves to who we are on the inside as well. I read E.Y. Mullins, one of our great theologians this week, and he said, there is no reason to believe that you and I will ever stop growing in heaven. I know we will know as we are known, we'll be perfect, we'll be transformed, we'll be sanctified, we'll be sinless. But he said, imagine Jesus who has gone before us to prepare the way, always going before us like a fleeing foal, he said. Like a fleeing foal. He always goes before us, always ours, but always leading us. He said, you will continue to grow through all of eternity. We are no longer perishable. We're imperishable, no longer dishonored, but glorious. We are no longer weak, but we are powerful. That's what our bodies will be like. And I don't know how to measure that power, but it's Far greater than anything we can imagine. It's sown a natural body, planted naturally, says it's raised a spiritual body. What does that mean? The only glimpses we have of that are of Jesus. And what we see in Jesus in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, when his disciples are looking at him like he's some kind of ghost, he said, touch me. I am flesh. I have flesh and bones. Touch me. He says to Thomas in John chapter 20, you can put your finger in my hand if you want to. You can put your hand in my side. I am a physical body in Luke chapter 24 verse 43 says do you have any fish I'll eat some fish I'm hungry so our bodies will be still bodies it doesn't mean you're planted a body but raised a spirit but you're raised a spiritual body a new and different kind of body that has continuity but is incredibly better so much better that the sufferings of this present time we saw last week are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us imagine Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration resplendent light this is our hope and this is the hope that we have to offer to the world Some years ago in this community, a little girl passed away, tragically, unexpectedly. Um, Melanie and I went to the funeral. It was a funeral in a different religion. And uh, I went there and I just participated. The hymn books had the same tunes that we sing, but the words were different. They had changed the words, taken any reference to God or Jesus or the resurrection out of the words. It It was odd for me, to be honest. And then the, the speaker stood to speak. And I, to, to, to this day, I don't ever remember anybody being more eloquent than this person. I mean, this person's use of the language, the English language, was just poetic and beautiful. And I just listened. And at the end, this was the conclusion of the funeral for a little girl who had passed away. When you go out at night and you look up in the sky and you see a star, you'll remember your little girl. And I left that building incredibly frustrated I got in the car and I looked at Melanie and I said is that it is that all we have to offer to a mom and dad who have lost their oldest daughter that someday they'll go out and look up in the sky and see a star believe me when I say 
Christianity does not say that your soul is recycled in new bodies over and over and over again for all of eternity. You might come back as any number of things. It doesn't say that. We don't believe that you're absorbed into some ground of being. We don't believe that you're annihilated, that this life is the end, like those Greeks to whom Paul wrote believed. What we believe is that we will be made new. And this is what we have to offer to the world. And, and to say that, that all we can offer to somebody is, well, when you feel the wind, you'll remember. No! We're going to live with real bodies in a real place called heaven before the God who is really real, who makes us new and powerful and spiritual. And that is our hope. And that's the hope we have to offer to the world. And nothing less than that will satisfy the longings of our souls. It's why Augustine said, Oh God, You have made us for Yourself. And we are restless until we find rest in You. We are restless. This is what we anticipate, that we will be given new and glorious bodies beyond our imagination. And Paul goes on to say, and that means what you do in this body matters. We're going to answer, he says, in chapter 5, verse 10, to the Lord. Verse 9, so we better please Him. If you're going to please anybody, please, please Him. Because your work in the Lord is not in vain. Listen, I know your body is the only body you have to do the work of the Lord, so I'm with you. We take care of ourselves here. But all the while we know that ultimately the best investment of our lives is not in our physical health, as important as that is, but in our spiritual health. I'm just asking for equal time. (laughs) Just invest as much time in your soul as you do in your body. And at the same time, understand that what we do for the Lord really matters. What does he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in view of that victory, in view of the resurrection, in full view of the risen Christ who superintends all of creation from the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for you and me, in full view of Him, he says, Remember this, stand firm, be immovable, always abounding in your work for the Lord. I've seen you do that. Why, he says. Why? Because it matters. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Philip Johnson, when he graduated from seminary, went to pastor a church in the cold tundra of Canada. And there he pastored one church and he had ten or so preaching points that he went out to and preached. And the first Sunday he went to one of those preaching points, he rode a snowmobile 40 miles so he could go and preach to those people. And would you believe it? Only one person showed up. A fisherman who had come 20 miles. And you know what he thought? What I I would have thought, maybe what you're thinking, what's the point? He thought, I'll just say a prayer and I'll get back on my snowmobile and go home. But he thought, you know what? This guy made the effort to come, so I think I ought to. So they sang every hymn. (laughs) They read every reading. He preached the full sermon. They had the Lord's Supper. He gave an offering. He did the whole thing. And the whole while he was wondering, as this guy sort of looked at the ground, what's the point? This guy's not even paying attention to what I'm saying. 
But afterward, he stood at the door to greet the lone congregant. And as the man walked out the door, he looked up at him and he said, Reverend, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian for the last 30 years. And today is the day. It matters. It all matters. When you teach a child Sunday school, when you help with a choir, when you serve as an usher, when you're involved on one of these committees, when you come to a forum, it all matters because it is not in vain in the Lord. Only one life, it will soon be passed, and only what is done for Christ will last. Do it well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your presence in this place. Forgive us, Lord, for when we focus more on our health than on our spiritual health. Help us today to commit ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because that work is not in vain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.